Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Well, good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see each and every one of you again on this Wednesday, September 21st. And so whether you're watching this live or on replay, listening to it on podcast, uh, it's fantastic to be with our HeartStrong family this morning. And so let's do our memory verse, and then I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Barry, and we are going to dig, continue to dig into the book of Judges. And so our memory verse is in John chapter 8, verses 28 to 32. And so I'll read it aloud, and you can feel free, muted, to uh, read it aloud where you are. Uh, So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do not speak, oh, sorry, that I do nothing on my own authority, but, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, many believed in him. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Father, just open our hearts as we open up your word. This is our prayer. Amen. Pastor Barry, do you want to dig away and dive in? Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. So this morning, we're going to look into the book of Judges once again, this time chapters 17 and 18. We're going to uh, see a major warning that is given to God's people of what happens when we have itching ears, because that's part and parcel of what Judges teaches us. It's the tragic story of a man by the name of Micah. Now, not the prophet Micah, but just a man named Micah, Uh, his mother, a Levite from Bethlehem, and the group called the the tribe of Dan, choosing to live outside of God's uh, authoritative word. Uh, It's a season in Israel without leadership, and the failure to drive out the inhabitants of the land uh, becomes a real problem for Israel. And so it's a continuation of the study of Judges, showing us the spiral, the downward spiral of a group of people that are supposed to be in covenant with God and living as he directs their lives. And so you're going to see that spiral of they sin. Sin always leads to oppression. Oppression means we cry out for repentance. God delivers us. Uh, We have peace in our hearts, and then we begin to take that for granted and we sin again, and the cycle just keeps going on over and over again. I think what it shows is the failure of humanity and the faithfulness of God. We see it over and over again. And so there is a theme in uh, Judges 17, verse 6. And uh, when I read it, I want you to think about, is this similar to today? Here's what it says. In those days, 
There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. Fabulous portion of scripture for all of us. And so as we begin today, let's remember that the teaching of God's word is not about the teacher providing all the answers to our questions, but rather to go away from each of these mornings, scratching our heads a little bit and trusting the Holy Spirit as we meditate on God's word to bring clarity and to bring understanding that uh, we not live the way the judges did at that time. And so God's word reveals what's necessary, and he leaves out what is unnecessary. So in our memory verse, we see that Jesus depends on the work of the Spirit in his life to accomplish what he has been called to do. And so for us, it's the same thing. We have to trust. So I'm excited that as we go through this portion of Scripture, starting in Judges 17, that together we're going to be processing what the Word of God is saying, and that'll give us an appreciation of the content, because we're all at different places in our life, and when you're at a different place, you sometimes hear it a little bit differently. It's why when people read through the Bible every year, they'll see sections they've read before, but it looks different, because they've changed, they've grown, they've had new experiences, and so these two chapters will show us that Israel's failure to live a godly life, even though God's at work in the land, and uh, a place called Shiloh, it comes up in the story, and that was the authorized and the genuine and the authentic place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and it's very close to where Micah lives, and so rather than putting the purpose of God first and foremost, he does something on his own that creates some real problems. So you've got an authentic and an inauthentic going on simultaneously. And so let's begin Judges chapter 17, and we'll go from verses 1 all the way down to the end. So it says, there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. So hill country is simply the central parts of Israel where the mountains are. And uh, Micah, his name means who is like God, is with a question mark. And uh, as I said, he's not the prophet Micah, he's just a man called Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. Uh, think about just that scenario. 1,100 pieces of silver, average price today about $300 a piece of silver. That's a lot of loot. That's over $300,000. And Micah steals it from his own mother. That's like taking away his inheritance before it's due. And rather than rebuke him as being a thief, she asks God to bless him. How many know God doesn't bless our mess? <laughs> and so this is going to fall on deaf ears. So silver was the currency of the day. And you can draw your own conclusions regarding this mother. She loves her son. But, uh, you know, I remember 
as a young man, my mother always said to me, never, never forget that I love you. But if you get in trouble with the law, you're on your own. <laughs> and I just thought, okay, that's a loving mom, but she's going to hold me to account. So here's a family that's really in trouble. Verse three, he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand, from my son. That part's good. Then she said, to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And that was placed in the house of Micah. So not only does he steal the money and now he's going to give it back, but the mother and the son conspire now to take 200 pieces of silver or about $60,000 and make some carved images to be able to put in their home. Uh, Micah's household obviously has departed from God's word. Exodus 20 and verse 3 says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. So they're forgetting what God has made clear to them. Deuteronomy 27, curse be the man who makes a carved or casts a metal image. It's an abomination to the Lord. It's a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and is set up in secret. And all the people shall answer, amen. So they have a very clear mandate from God that they are to be in relationship with the living God, not in relationship to a carved image. And when we say no carved images, because a carved image is only a limitation of a representation of the fullness of who God is. And that's why you and I now live in the age of the Holy Spirit. He alone can give us a an expression of the fullness of God. So if you put a small image on your lapel, uh, maybe it's a dove or a cross or something, it's only a part of what it is that represents God. And so he's very clear with them, they're not to do it. But Micah turns around with the money that he had stolen and him and his mother conspire together to make these uh, images and make a shrine in the home. So verse 5, the man Micah had a shrine. He made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. So what's an ephod? It's a sacred garment that was worn by the high priests of the Levitical priesthood. Aaron was the high priest and his sons. The ordination came through them. And uh, when God appoints Aaron to do that, that's the way this is to go. And now. Micah decides he's going to set up an ephod. He's going to imitate what he knows from history, and he's going to appoint his son to the priesthood. And uh, the role of the Levite was simply to teach the law and to offer sacrifices. Remember that when they were going into the promised land, the Levites were the only ones that were not assigned territory. They didn't have a place that they could call home. So there were locations around the land where the Levites would go, and they would then offer the sacrifices and teach the scriptures on behalf of the people. So when Micah lays his hands on his son and ordains him, we call that empty hands on empty heads. Uh, there's no anointing. There's no 
uh, affirmation from God whatsoever. He is just imitating what he has known in the past, and uh, he is not authorized to do this. So in verse 6, as we mentioned a moment ago, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we live in a moment where it's not about truth, but it's rather your truth and my truth. And in the time of the judges, it was the same thing. Here's Micah deciding this is my truth, and I'm going to set up these carved images, and I'm going to do what I need to do. And so we're not called to rewrite the scriptures to suit ourselves. Um, yes, we are a distinct culture, and we mustn't be a reflection of the culture around us. So what Mike is doing, he's reflecting what is taking place in the hearts of the people. Even though they could go to Shiloh, the Ark of the Covenant was there, and they could worship properly, he's choosing to just set it up in his own home. Um, what if I was to throw out thoughts of how we live today? There can be a lot of things that separate us and make us look just like the culture all around us. We are meant to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We're meant to walk holy. We're meant to be uh, the people of God in a generation that has lost contact with God. And uh, there's a challenge, I think, every single day for us. Um, I love to poke things every so often. And so uh, if you think about marriage even today, and you see what happens now where a lot of young people just live together, they call themselves Christians and they're living together. And the issue in all of that is the misunderstanding of the covenant that God has with marriage. So as human beings, we have itchy ears and we want to go where what we want to do is affirmed. So for Micah putting up the carved images, he would have known that there are people that would call him to account on that, but he doesn't care. He just goes ahead and does it. And in Judges chapter 17, verses 7, we see how this just starts to expand. A young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, was a Levite. So all of a sudden now, there's a Levite in the story. He sojourned there, and the man departed from Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. So the Levites traveled around, and they wanted to be able to teach God's word, and they wanted to be able to have a place that they could call home. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country Ephraim to the house of Micah. What you don't see in the story is how did he know about what was going on in Micah's house? That story would have been known in, in the area. So Micah said to him, where have you come from? And he said, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest. I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes, and your living. And the Levite went in. So the Levite's going to stay at Micah's bed and breakfast, and he's going to have a roof over his head, and he's going to enjoy what's going on. But remember, the Levite knows the word of God. And when he sees the carved images and all of that, that should have been assigned to him right away to go as far away from Micah's house as possible. And uh, rather than being a priest, he's a prostitute. And now he's just going to serve for the sake of, of ungodly gain. 
And so the devil knows how to scratch our ears, knows to have us to give us what we want. The Levite needs a place to minister, and he needs shelter, and he needs food. And wouldn't you know it, that Micah's house opens its door to him. So $300 times that number of pieces of silver, he's got thousands of dollars in a given year now to take care of himself and to do his priestly duty. Verse 11, the Levite was content to dwell with him. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. Here we go again. He's ordained his son to be a priest. Now he's ordaining the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. Uh, amazing how we can justify ourselves. <laughs> amazing how we can think that in a story like this, uh, just because Micah meets with a Levite, and a Levite is known to be a carrier of God's law and God's word and offer sacrifices, Micah probably thinks God's blessing him and honoring him. And so Micah ordains the Levite, again, empty hands on an empty head. And if we go back even to Aaron and his sons, Nabat and Baihu, they offered strange fire before the Lord. And that means unauthorized or foreign or profane. And so God at that time rejected it and consumed both of them with fire. So the Levites not consumed by fire, but the principle is the same. You reap what you sow. When you're unauthorized and you're offering strange fire and you're profaning the things of God, that will come back upon you. And so God's word is our final authority and God is holy. And because he's holy, he's not safe. And what that means is there's going to come a moment in Micah's life where all of this is going to unravel. He thinks he's under the blessing of God because he's got a Levite in his house, but not so. If anything, this is a perfect illustration on how to tick God off, <laughs> just to, to do it the way he's doing it. And uh, I think all of us often want the path of least resistance in life. And sometimes we convince ourselves that what we're doing is right, but the word of God is obviously saying to us, it's not right. That's not the way it's done. I always remember Matthew 23, 1 to 3, where Jesus says to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do, for they preach, but they don't practice. So that portion of scripture has always been strong in my heart to be able to say, Lord, that person may be preaching your word, but is their life lining up to the word? Are they authentic? Are they genuine? Or is this profane? And there have been lots of instances for Joyce and I over the years when we've traveled that eventually we hear of ministries that go belly up. And you certainly find out that there was immorality or there was theft or there was something going on. And you say to yourself, well, the word that they preach, people still got saved. People still got ministered to in the meeting. Yes, because God watches over his word to perform it. And as people, our focus must always be on God's word, where everything is tested by God's word. 
and not necessarily eyes on a man or on eyes on a preacher or eyes on a priest. It's on God's word, and that then gives us the assurance that we're not living out of itchy ears. We're not living out of just wanting to do what we want to do. So here we come to the end of this part of the story, and as we shift into chapter 18, and there are five spies from the tribe of Dan that come to this hill country where Micah's living, and they arrive at the home of Micah. So he's well known in the community, and they're trying to secure land for themselves as a tribe. Uh, history records that the Philistines had prevented them from establishing their own territory where along the coast where they were supposed to have it. And so they go to the hill country where the Sidonians are, and the Sidonians are not a warring people. They're much more peaceful. They're settled. They're secure in the land. And the tribe of Dan decide that they're going to uh, attack them. So verse 3, when they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of this young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah has dealt with me. He's hired me. I've become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey of which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. So verse 7, the spies go to Laish. Um, today it's it's called Dan in the upper parts of the Golan Heights. And they learn of the peaceful Sidonians. And so what do they do? They plan to destroy them. The tribe of Dan go on the attack. But the first of the report of what is Micah's house needs addressing. So verse 13 shows us that they eventually realize all of the value of what's in Micah's house. And they say to themselves, let's start there. So they come to Micah's house, they take everything and tell the Levite to shut up and come with them and be their priest. So all of a sudden now, the curse that was upon Micah's house for violating the word of God comes to fruition. The Levite goes from ministering to one family in one house to now ministering to a tribe. So the Levite, I'm sure in his mind, is thinking, Praise God, I've got a whole tribe now to minister to. He's still off base. So here are some of the thoughts on this. The Levite probably thought that God had promoted him and uh, from serving one to serving many. But Micah in the story loses everything. Uh, the tribe of Dan, they set up idols in Laish and rename it Dan. The last time we were in Israel, we went to a place called Caesarea Philippi, and we walked through that whole region, and we saw the walls of Laish that were burned down and where Dan was established. It's one of the only tribes that becomes a bit of an issue as you study the scriptures because they become false in their religious pursuit and in their practice every single day. When they should have gone to Shiloh, they're choosing now to set up their own system. You see the same thing later on after Solomon's death. The kingdom of, of Israel is divided into two, Judah to the south, Israel to the north, and the northern part 
They establish their own religious system and they do everything they can to say, we don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to worship in the temple. We don't have to be uh, under the authority of Aaron and the priests and all of that. And so you realize it is essential for people to know the truth so that they can be absolutely free to worship properly. And in both of these situations, now in the time of Micah and, and the tribe of Dan, doing what they're doing, and later on after King Solomon. And so if you go to Revelation 7, for example, and you look at uh, the 144,000 that will be during the time of the tribulation, uh, 12,000 from every tribe, the tribe of Dan's not mentioned, and they're excluded. Now, Manasseh takes over that part, but they're excluded, even though they're part of the tribes of Israel. But again, their gross idolatry has excluded them from representing God. Um, they failed in taking the territory that was assigned to them. They fled from the Philistines, one of the main characters we know in the war against the Philistines was the judge Samson. And he's at the end of the story. And we know from Samson that he certainly just wanted to go after the women of the day. And he didn't uh, respond to his parents or to the call that they had placed upon his heart and life. And Samson continually would repent. God would touch him. But we learn from his story you can be touched, but not changed. You can go through that cycle and simply repeat it again and again and again. There is something about the Philistines putting pressure on Israel to the point where the tribe of Dan said, we've had enough, we can't defeat them, we're going to go up north, and they go up north, and that's what starts to happen. And so I think there's some things here that can help us Idolatry never gains favor with God. Immorality never gains favor with God. And that Dan as a tribe were eventually disqualified. And so there's some great lessons in this. And uh, let me take you to Genesis 49 for a minute. Uh, some have even used this in the study of eschatology, that the Antichrist may even come from the region that Dan was part of, meaning probably from the northern parts in Syria. So Genesis 49, 17 says, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. So what a, what a, a word given to a tribe. Deuteronomy 33 that we've gone through and of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan, and Bashan is the Golan Heights, and the Golan Heights were part and parcel of Syria at one time. And then Jeremiah, the great prophet that we all know in chapter 8 and verse 16, the snorting of their horses is heard from Dan. At the sound of the neighing of their stallions, the whole land quakes. They come and devour the land and all that fills it the city and those who dwell in it. So some in interesting preliminaries to our study today, but then what happens after when we look into the book of Jeremiah and we see that whatever judgment God placed on that tribe, it continues 
and even into the New Testament and to the book of Revelation. And so for all of us, I think that we can draw some conclusions. We can go away scratching our head, saying, Lord, what kind of a mother and what kind of a father did Micah have? So that in the teaching of God's word in the house, that they chose carved images and idols. What was going on in that house to do that? And then even for Micah to steal from his own mother, to take what rightfully belonged to her. What was going on in his heart at the time? And then in the journey of the judges as we're spiraling, did he at one point suddenly repent and realize I want to bring that money back to my mother because I'm living under conviction? Maybe, but he obviously brings it back. And then they conspire together to go to the silversmith and make these carved images. So it just goes from one disaster to another in all of their lives and even in the life of the Levite, who proves to be unfaithful in his ministry of God's word. And so I hope that you see some lessons here that keep you in a place of uh, holy security in God. We are meant to honor him and him alone. We're meant to put his word first, no matter the cost. And we're not to steal, we're to trust him to do what he needs to do. Because the book of James tells us, you don't have it because you don't ask. And so it's all about relationship. It's always been about relationship. And when you see someone like Micah pull away from going to Shiloh, pull away and set up and do his own thing, you know that only bad will come from that. So it's one of those stories I think that we can learn a lot from. And I would encourage you to continue to read through 17 and 18. And keep that uh, scripture that we talked about in the very first part of this, that in the land, everyone was doing whatever they wanted to do. And uh, that's, to me, an indicator even of today. When I look at the people who are coming to our congregation, I see hungry people. I see people focused on what God wants to do in their hearts and in their lives they're hungry for God's word, as we see in the mornings on HeartStrong. We see them in the Bible school. We see them in life groups. And that means that they want to live an authentic life, and they want to walk in the right direction that God has for them. Um, that's the challenge that we have all the time, to stay on the narrow road and stay faithful. So let's learn some lessons from Micah. And for those of you that have to head off to work, let me pray for you. And uh, Father, thank you for once again, not hiding things in your word, but revealing them, showing the sinfulness of our hearts, even as those that are living in covenant with you, Lord, even that we can break, but you are faithful to work in us and to do that which is pleasing in your sight. And so, Lord, I bless my brothers and sisters as they go off to their workday. Father, make them... Uh, uh, wise, make them strong, make them faithful to be able to do everything you're calling them to do and give them favor as they open their hearts in prayer for their own families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Have you ever joined one of our live online Bible studies? 
When you become a HeartStrong member, you will have access to all of our live Bible studies. These studies are amazing because we get to do it together. We listen to the teaching and then we spend about 30 minutes discussing what we have learned. You will hear powerful testimonies, insights, and questions and prayer times from people like you and me. We would love to see you there. Visit heartstrong.life and click membership to join. And we look forward to seeing you at one of our live online Bible studies soon. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples together.